Hello, friends. Welcome back to another segment of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm excited as we uh, are in the third chapter today of Ephesians, taking uh, the epistle to the Ephesians verse by verse. And it's been so uh, exciting and my pleasure to expound on some of the riches of this life that we have in Jesus Christ. Brethren, today I just want to continue our study uh, of again in this third chapter. You know, last week we uh, were talking about in our last study how we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, and we expounded on that. I won't, won't go much uh, on that here, but I want to just also place the emphasis on the fact that uh, in verse 20 of chapter 2, that uh, Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. And then he goes on to tell how we are a building built in the Spirit, dwelling in the Spirit for a place that God might habitate through his church. You know, I was speaking to several people um, during the last couple weeks, and we were talking about uh, different religions, and uh, one young gentleman made the mention that, while Christianity uh, is only 2,000 years old, um, you know, starting with Jesus, and look at uh, Buddhism and and uh, and so forth that are, you know, way older and as far as religion goes. And, you know, brethren, we have to understand that Christianity was started as followers of Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit formed the church. And we'll get into that a little bit. But yet we must look at the, at the founders, the prophets, the founding of any religion to find out the, the not only falsity of it, but really what it's all about. You have Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, and Charles Taz Russell, and you have Mormons with uh, Joseph Smith and, and the Moonies and, and so on, and, and on down through all the religions. But yet we look at our calling, we look at our faith and our position, who is the one that we follow? Who is the one that started uh, the church? Who is the one that formed the church? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? He is God from all creation. He is God in human flesh. And that makes all the difference in the world. People say, well, you know, Christians, Islam, Buddhism, and all these different things. Um, and we have a famous saying that you see on a lot of car bumper stickers um, that say, you know, coexist. And they talk about, you know, coexist, you know, all the different religions, Christianity, like I said, Buddhism, Islam, uh, you know, all these different religions and we're coexist. But, you know, the Bible sets apart biblical Christianity from everything else. Let me just read you this one verse talking about our Lord and Savior as God became inhabited human flesh, born in Bethlehem, and changed the world, and yet during his ministry, he said a profounding thing. He says, upon this rock, speaking of himself, not Peter, but speaking of himself, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not prevail against it. That's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, by the way. And that's the first time that Jesus mentioned the church, and we'll get into to why it was it was a mystery from ages past in a minute. But listen to this, brethren. I'm reading in Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter five, verse two says this: "But you, Bethlehem, speaking of the birthplace of our Savior, 
But you, Bethlehem, Euphrania, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, the Lord Jesus, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That is a paramount scripture amongst many other ones that said not only will God pierce time and become a human and inhabit human flesh, God inhabited human flesh. Can you believe that? Listen to what Paul, how he puts it in Philippians chapter 2. And we all know this verse, but let's read it again. Philippians chapter 2, let's say starting at verse 5, or verse 4, excuse me. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Can you imagine that, brethren? God became a man in Jesus Christ. That separates Christianity, biblical Christianity, from all other religions in the world. This is a very interesting point that we must contend with with those that believe that we are just another religion, that Christianity is just another way of looking at man's opinion on God or how to get to God. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word. And we know from the Word of God that that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now that's John chapter 1, the first three verses. But let me go skip down to the 14th verse of John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. We know the word is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John will end in verse 17 where John says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we have Jesus himself declaring in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, brethren, we see that we have a understanding of God, we have a faith, we have a position that we can boast about, not only based on facts, but based on the one who created us. You know, no other religion in the world can claim that. No other religion. There are some 1,500 plus religions in the world. None of them can claim that their founder is our creator. Because this is fact. Our creator became our savior. And he was our savior. You know, there was so much uh, scripture uh, that speaks to that validity, that speaks to that truth. We would be here all day and all, all night, brethren. Maybe we'll save that to a, for a different time uh, in our study. 
But I want to say something here to you. You can look at a lot of things in the Word of God, and God declares himself. Remember, the Bible is God declaring himself to man. It's God's revelation to man. And he says in Isaiah 43, verse 11, he says, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. We could go on and on. The one who created us is the one who redeemed us. Does this set apart biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world? Yes. Does that make Jesus Christ the Lord God in human flesh? Yes. And for this reason, we can rejoice, brethren. We can be solid in understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. By this faith you stand, and by this you are saved. So no wonder Paul starts in chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me. Let me read down a little, brethren, and we'll get back. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been made has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, verse 8, who am least, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the insurgible riches of Christ. Now I want to, I want to go back and again lay the groundwork of some of the things that we've been talking about. You know, Paul, I wanted to, Paul was a master uh, expounder of, of things. He was, you can read it in Philippians, uh, where Paul was a Pharisee, where Paul was uh, a, a strict Jew, um, and we can go on and on. But you know, one thing I love about the Apostle Paul is he not only speaks with authority, but I want you to know, brethren, he also speaks as one who has got this by revelation. He didn't learn it by men. He got it by revelation. And he says that so many times, that in everything that he writes down, that we can understand that everything he has in the Word of God came by revelation. That he didn't receive this by men. He didn't receive this uh, by his learning. He received the gospel by direct revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Wow. He says, but I make known to you, this is Galatians chapter 1, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. 
So we have a solid foundation that we can rest upon. What he has said before about our riches and our deep position in Jesus Christ, our being saved, our being kept eternally, our gracious God, all in the gospel was revealed uh, by revelation to Paul. So we can have that solid foundation. You know, so many people write uh, things about other religions or they try to talk about other religions and they, they just don't have that footing. This is what they think or this is what they, you know, they take believe as well. I believe I'll do this and I believe I'll do that. Well, the Bible says that we can believe not only by facts, but we can believe that the writers were inspired by the Lord himself, that these things were made known directly from the heart of God through these inspired apostles and prophets. That is assurance. And he goes on again in verse 2, he says, Indeed, have you heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God which is given to me? You know, God works through dispensations, through time, different dealings with mankind, always, always, always. Salvation is through grace by faith. But the dispensations, the different dealings that God had with men, we see all through the Old Testament. We see uh, Adam and Eve, the, the fruit and the lamb. We see the dispensation of, of law as, as the Jews were brought out, the Hebrews were brought out through the Red Sea, and they came to Mount Sinai, and they got, received the Ten Commandments. We, we see so much that God dealt with. We read it. You can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Easy. You do good. And do everything I tell you to do, things will go well with you. You do bad and and in disobedience, things will go not so good with you. Law, and then all of a sudden, you know, the dispensations of of uh, of grace uh, that Paul is writing about here. God says, not now he doesn't say if you will. God basically says. I will, and that's grace. God lavished His favor upon us, and this dispensation of the grace of the church, or to the church, I should say, is given by to Paul by revelation. And he said, "This dispensation of the grace of God was given to me for you." Listen to verse three: How that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. This A mystery in the Bible is not something like an Agatha Christie mystery. A mystery is something that was kept hidden or kept secret from ages past, always in the mind of God, but always leading up to the revelation that God chooses to give at a certain time. All through the Old Testament, we see that the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, we see even from Cain and Abel. Uh, all the way through uh, the, the sacrifices, the giving of the law, the tabernacle, the temple, the priests, all of these were leading up to the Lamb of God, John, John says, who would take away the sin of the world. So this revelation, this mystery was spoken of at first by Christ. He said, this church upon this rock, again, speaking of himself, I will build my church. This revelation of the grace that has been given 
to the church and the forming of the church was given to the Paul. Paul was exclusively the apostle to the risen Christ. The other apostles lived with him, ate with him, saw him die, saw him resurrect, saw him descend into heaven. But the apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, you can read about it in Acts chapter 9, where he was going to deliver letters to the governor and letters to the magistrates to drag the, the Christians, the believers in Jesus Christ, to jail and do them hurt. On the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to Paul and personally transitioned Paul, or should say Saul at that time, to the apostle Paul and revealed to him, uh, I believe in Arabia and so forth, but revealed to him the, the, the grace that was he, that was given to the church revealed to him the the embodiment of the church and the mystery what was revealed. Let's read on. By which, when you read, you understand my knowledge into the mystery of Christ. Look at verse five, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy prophets, or excuse me, holy apostles and prophets. Now the apostle Peter. In his letter said that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Both in agreement. God has revealed himself through the word of God. He revealed himself in flesh through the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the living word. And we, get, we understand the character of God. We understand the grace that has been given to us in the church, not only for, the, for our life, but how to live our life. And what we're going to see here in down in verse 11, I don't want to go too quickly, what that grace is going to do for us for eternity. It is absolutely wonderful. So I just want to touch again a little bit on the fact that when somebody comes to you and wants to argue religion, wants to compare uh, Christianity to religion or so forth, wow, we can so readily rest in the fact that we have been born again, not by man, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that said, to see me is to see the Father. I and the Father are one. So as we read, look at verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the the body of Christ. We, we can be, us Gentiles, or Gentiles or non-Jews, we would be fellow heirs of the same body, of the body of, of remember we talked about in our last study where God made both Jew and Gentile to be, to be one through faith in Jesus Christ, to come in, to the body of Christ. Now, again, uh, don't get that confused with, you know, a lot of things in a very popular teaching now, which is very anti-biblical, saying the church and Israel are one. Now, Israel has become the church, or the church has become the new Israel, or what have you. Absolutely not, brethren. We need to understand that the church and Israel are two separate entities. And yet, the Messiah came through Israel. The Messiah is a Jew. And the promise that we have, let me read to you in, uh, let's, let's flip back in your Bible with me real quick. Uh, this is so exciting to Romans. 
Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 11. I'm kind of working with a newer Bible here, so my pages kind of stick together, so forgive me um, for uh, trying to separate them. My other one just got two marked up here. So anyway, here we are, Romans chapter 11. And, you know, I love this because Paul starts out in Romans chapter 11. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And Paul says, I'm an Israelite. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So we see that that God has not forgot his people Israel. But God also has, has produced something called the church that has a separate uh, a separate uh, dealing, if you will, or a separate uh, economy in God's eternal plan than Israel. And we see, if, we, if you look in Romans chapter 11, he starts out by saying in verse 13, For I speak to you Gentiles. As much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are in my flesh and save some of them. He's talking about Israel. For if their being cast away is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first fruits is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Wait a minute, what does all of this mean? Let's go on. If some were broke, and if some of the branches were broken off, meaning Israel, and you, being the Gentile, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker, there's that word, of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And so we see that for a while, out of the root promises that God gave to Abraham, remember how not only the land of Israel would remain forever and is the Jews forever, but also the promise through Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, talking about the Messiah. So we see that the olive tree... He says, if you were cut out by the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural, the Jews, be grafted into their own olive tree? He goes on to say this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Here we are again. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved. And we can go on. So the mystery, back in Ephesians chapter 3, back in our study, the mystery, and, and the reason why we're going through this, just to under, you, so we might understand our wealth, the wisdom um, of God is, is, un, is just past finding out. Uh, let me read also in that in that same chapter. Listen what Paul finally says after all this that we've talked about in Romans chapter eleven about the wild olive tree, you know, and us as as Gentiles being unnatural olive branches or branches being cast into that tree, 
we partake of the promises. Listen to what Paul says. It's in Romans 11.33. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He loves you, brethren. He is in love with you. He loves his church. He built his church. It's the mystery that is now being revealed that was in the heart of God from eternity past. This is not just a whim that God decided one day to do, but this is all going to fit together. How in the, the millennium, how after after the tribulation, we're caught up to be with him, uh, the thousand-year millennium comes, guess who's going to be um, ruling his theoretic kingdom, so to speak, on this earth? The Jew, Israel, they will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel, he says in Luke and elsewhere. Where is the church going to be? The church will be reigning with him with our, with our resurrected bodies, with our, our new bodies, and reigning as the bride of Christ with him. And it is all going to fit together in a wonderful plan and a wonderful mosaic, uh, beautiful, uh, glorious picture of God, what God has done in grace through Jesus Christ, and not forgetting his, forgetting his people Israel. Let's go on. Am I losing some of you? I hope in my excitement I'm not. I hope all this will come together. And uh, I hope that you will stay with me through all these studies, that, that these things grieve the Lord because they are not taught today. The church today is so ignorant, and a lot of it is willful ignorance, my friends, of, of the things that are in the Bible that are near and dear to God's heart. He says uh, again in verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by his effective working of his power. Now we've talked about power earlier in our studies. To me, verse 8, who am least less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And before I go on, let me quote some here that, that uh, J. Vernon McGee has, has laid out really quickly, and it's, it's just easy for us to kind of understand. He said, therefore, that now there is a threefold division in the human race. He said, all people were Gentiles from Adam to Abraham, about 2,000 years or plus or minus. Then he says, all people were either Jews or Gentiles from Abraham to Christ. And then he says, and last of all in this dispensation, the threefold division now is Jews, Gentiles, and the church. From the day of Pentecost to the time that God catches us away, or the rapture. So to get that, First of all, there was only Gentiles from Adam to Abraham. Remember, and then, then Abram of the Cal, or of the Chaldees, God called out, and he from Abram he produced a nation of of people, and set his love and his promises upon them. With Abraham being the father of that nation, Israel. And then he says that uh, all people were either Jews now or Gentiles from Abraham to Christ. But now, Paul talks about uh, 
in this dispensation and in this time, the church age, there is either there's a threefold division of the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. I thought that was pretty interesting. Wow. He says in verse 8, he's less than the least of all saints. Why does Paul say that? Well, you know, for various reasons. Paul also elsewhere tells of the fact that, you know, he was he he persecuted the church. He, he was a violent man, you know, and, and uh, he, uh, people were afraid of him, you know, and, and uh, you know, he went around creating havoc. And, uh, and yet the grace that was given Paul by the Lord caused the Apostle Paul to labor and, and suffer more than them all. But what was his message? What was Paul, uh, who, by the way, in so many places says to be followers of him, to imitate him? Um, what was that that he did? He preached among the Gentiles, the last part of verse 8, the unsearchable riches of of Christ. Did you get that, my friends? You and I have unsearchable riches in our Savior. Wow. Remember back when we first started our study, what it means to be a Christian? Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. The unsearchable riches of of Christ. How could a holy God make it to where sinful man could live and abide with him forever and to see his glory? The answer, my friends, is Jesus Christ. In him crucified, buried, and risen on our behalf. In our entering in by faith and receiving him as our Savior and Lord, God is pleased. The unsearchable riches of Christ. How could the, the Creator become our Redeemer? How could the worlds and, and the riches and the glory and, and the, the unspeakable, majestic magnitude of God be ours and be shared by sinful man for eternity? Again, the answer is Jesus Christ. Praise God for his indescribable gift, Paul says in Corinthians. Look at verse 9. He says, to, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now, I'll get back to that verse in a moment. But I want to read you a note that C.I. Schofield wrote about, uh, about this mystery. He says that the Gentiles were to be saved was no mystery. You can see that Romans 9 and 10. The mystery hidden in God was the divine purpose to make the Jew and Gentile a holy new thing, the church, which is his body, formed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in which the earthly distinction of Jew and Gentile disappears. The revelation of this mystery of the church was foretold. Okay? The mystery of this church, the mystery of, of the, the dealings with this church. Now, um, the note that I have uh, chose to, to read to you, Schofield wrote this in about 1909, 1910 somewhere, as he, as he was getting together his, uh, 
his his reference Bible. But you know, one one thing that I love that he says in here, the revelation of this mystery, which was foretold but not explained by Christ, again in Matthew chapter 16, was committed to Paul. In his writings alone we find doctrine, position, walk, and destiny of the church. It's a wholly new thing given by revelation by Christ himself. I think that's amazing. Because again, if we go back to that, ties into the validity of the Bible. What, what, what is the Bible? What is, make, what is the Bible, among so many other things, make it distinct, apart from any other quote-unquote religious writings of the world? Whether you have the... Uh, whether you have, you know, the Book of Mormon, whether you have the Quran, um, whether you have the Hindu Vedas, what, all these things, all these writings, what makes the Bible different? Of one major thing, among many others, the Bible is God's direct revelation to man. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that Jesus is real? How do I know I'm saved by grace? How do I know that he shed his blood for me? How do I know that I've gone from spiritual death into life? How do I know that when I die, that I have a certainty of living in glory? How do I know that my sins are free? All these things. How do I know what God is like? How do I know that he is love? You know, brethren, before, I have uh, mentioned this before in an earlier study, I believe, but I just wanted to touch a little bit, um, and you can mark this down. In Psalm, the Psalms are beautiful. You find a lot of characteristics of God in the Psalms. But real quick, if you're there, fine. If not, take a note on this. Psalm 145, Psalm 145, this is for example. We read in verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's just a sample of what we know that this revelation of God to man, and that alone allows us to see what God's character, the unsearchable riches of Christ, who God is, who Christ is. How do I know? You know, the Bible, friends, is a book of knowing. You know, we know. We can know that we're saved. We can know God. We can know his character. We can rely on his character. We can rely on how he will react in, he, in a certain way towards us. We know this. Now, let me just give you a, a, a scripture, again, that just uh, is one of, of hundreds about the Bible being a book of knowing to the Bible-believing Christian. Listen to this. In 1 John 5.13, John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The apostle writes these things that are revealed to him from God himself so that we might know, not believe, I hope, though I have eternal life. Gosh, I'm trying. I hope I get there. I, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be like Islam where I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. But no, we know that faith in Jesus Christ and him alone produces in us a knowing. And this is wonderful. 
So we know when we when, when the mystery of what was hidden in the past, but revealed to us now by this wonderful God who wonderfully revealed himself not only through Jesus Christ, but the written word of God. It's phenomenal. Brethren, we want to be confident. We want to be strong. We want to quit you like men. We want to stand on the truth, the Bible, and nothing but the Bible. So when in verse 9, when Paul says, And to make all see what is a fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now I want to say something real quick. I'm not a big uh, advocate, although I do believe that uh, certain manuscripts are the best. But it's a shame that some of these modern versions uh, leave out this last part of verse 9, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Because, brethren, I want to tell you something. You can be solid in the fact, and I will give you an example. You look at John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 1, and they all say, as an example, that Jesus Christ is the creator. Is the creator. Isn't that wonderful? We know beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is. We don't take man's opinion for it. We don't take speculation for it. Look at these things. John chapter 1, verse 3, And all things were made by him, Jesus. And without him, Jesus, was nothing made that was made. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 real quick. Colossians chapter 1 is, is a wonderful, uh, look, starting verse 13. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. By the way, remember our study in chapter 2 that he has been raised from the uh, from the dead and, and we've been he was raised from the dead in chapter 1 far above all principality powers and everything that could be named. And in chapter 2 verse 6 it says that we've been raised up to sit with him in the heavenly places, brethren. Where have we been raised in the position of God above all principality and power? He created all things. Let's let's go to uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter one. Remember John chapter one, Colossians chapter one, and Hebrews chapter one. These are just an example of how we see our wonderful Creator. Hebrews chapter one: God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in His last days spoken to us by His Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Verse 3, who being in brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's our creator. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, for example. Wow. The Bible reveals God to us in facets to the mind that is ready, to the mind that is willing, to the mind that seeks God as for hid treasures, the Proverbs say, then you will find the wisdom of God. It is absolutely wonderful. 
In verse 10, he says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities, powers, and the heavenly places. Well, now wait a minute. Let's look at this wonderful verse very intently here. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church? How could we, how could the church ever make this beautiful manifold wisdom known to the world? This will go and look in verse 11. Verse 10 and 11. Let me read 11 real quick. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the church, my friend, is going to make known to the world the manifold wisdom of God. Wow. To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This wisdom might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I love it. I love it. Remember when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? He's sitting at God's right hand far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion. Remember how Christ was raised above all of that? And again, like we said a moment ago, how you go to chapter 2 and you see in verse 6 that we've been raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. There we go. We are the gem, the showing of the grace of God by the church. Can't you see, brethren, why it is so hurtful to even entertain the doctrine that we're saved by grace plus works? What? No, we are saved by grace alone. There is nothing we could have done to be good enough. There is nothing we could have done to satisfy God. There is nothing we could have done. All our righteousness is of filthy rags, Isaiah says. We've been saved by grace back in verse, or, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. Look at verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, I want to say something right now to you that's, that is, is so much on my heart to get across to you and to the world that will hear me. God has an eternal purpose for you in Christ. I have written in every one of my Bibles, verse 11, I said, God has an eternal purpose for me. God has you on his mind for eternity. You are going to be in the counsels of God. He, you are in a position that is raised with Christ. We are going to share his glory for eternity. We will see God face to face, and he will wipe away every tear. We will be with him for a glorious eternity. And people say, well, wait a minute. You know, the argument, how, how can hell be real? I mean, can it really be a real suffering, a real separation from anything good from God himself? Well, you've got to answer that question, brethren, by the other side of it. How could heaven be so glorious and so wonderful? How could that be? You know, God has set apart 
the godly man for himself, the scripture says. And when we see the Lord Jesus Christ lowly and lifted up on the cross, bleeding to death to reconcile you back to God. When we see him on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We realize that God loves you so much that he has found a way to take you, the sinner, and make you fit for himself forever. And that is through Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified for you, risen for you, and is seated at the right hand as God's satisfying sacrifice for you. That's how much he loves you. An eternal plan. God had that plan. We see it in the book of Acts from predeterminate plan from ages long ago, from eternity past. The predetermined plan. Those men, those wicked men crucified Christ, and yet that was all a part of God's plan. Because he loves you. Now read verse 10 and 11 again with that in mind, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, you and I, brethren, to the principalities, powers, and the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no wonder why at the end of Romans, Paul could say that soon God himself will crush Satan under our feet. This life is fleeting. This life is so fast. I'm 57 years old, and I sometimes I stop in that moment of, of unsuspecting time and go, wow, where, where did it all go? And yet the, the, uh, the great hymn, Amazing Grace, stands in and says, when we've been there 10,000 years, we have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Wow. According to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's wonderfully fantastic. Thank you, Father, for your indescribable gift. Look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. You know, we have boldness to enter in. We have boldness to come to the Lord Jesus and through the Lord Jesus to the very throne of God. Boldness. Not fear and and intimidation. We have boldness to come. And how do we have boldness to come, brethren? Again, the Bible is so knitly fit together. We have boldness because we have done good today. And, you know, I feel pretty good about myself today, so I feel pretty good about coming to God. Oh, I can't do that because I just don't feel good today. I don't feel like I could really come to God. Nonsense, brethren. We've been saved by grace. Listen to what the writer in the Hebrews, and as you all know by now, I believe it's the Apostle Paul. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, listen to this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, there's our word, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Wow. Is that amazing? We have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. Sometimes I just... I am in awe of me? You chose me? You, you picked me? Going back to, to the start of our study, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, you chose me? And in verse 5, you predestined us, you adopted me? Simply because you, you, I heard your gospel and I believed I believe that you love me and that you, you gave yourself for me to deliver me from this wicked, perverse generation that's dying, going to hell. You saved me. I heard an old, an old preacher say one time, if, if in all his doings and all his preaching and all his forging and all his plowing and all his work, in the Lord Jesus, if he could save just one, his life would have been worth it. And that's my cry. That you listening to me today would understand how much God sacrificed for you. How much he loves you and wants you to know how much he loves you and his character. And how much he loves you enough to send his son to die for your sins, to raise him from the dead as not only proof that your sins are gone, but that all who place their faith in him would be free from guilt, would be created anew, would be born again, born from above, fit for him, his own possession, his own creation. And so that in the time to come that... We have that eternal purpose, that in the ages to come, God will, will reveal this mystery to all creation and all the ages to come because Christ, the just for the unjust, suffered that he might bring us to God. He goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Think about that, brethren. Think about lovely families here, the, the family unit of the father and the mother and the children living in, in that unity, being brought the security, the tightness, the the uh, you know the, the passing on of, of values and love. Think about this. The whole meaning of the of family gets its name from our Father who who loved us and gave his son for us, that we might be his children for eternity through Jesus Christ. He says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Look at verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ 
which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How are we filled with God? How do we know God? How are we, how are we filled with the life of God? There are a thousand or more voices out there that are clamoring on telling you how you can know God and how, you know, this and that. What does the Bible say? Paul is talking about in these first three chapters, our absolute riches in Christ, what God did in Jesus Christ to bring you to himself, to fill you with all the riches of God. Look at verse 19 real close. Well, actually, let's go back to verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. You know, Paul is, is, is uh, always saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, brethren. Open your mind up and give your mind to God. It's his. Our thought life. Give your thought life. Give your mind. Give your energies to him. God, I want to know you. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Flip over there real quick. This is something that that Paul, uh, I believe, was, was speaking not only prayer, but at the depths of his heart to God himself. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Verse 16 says he wants to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You know, I love it when Jesus said, I think it's in John chapter 14, don't quote it, 14 or 15, he's talking about the spirit. And he says, you know, that you know him, for he'll be with you and he will also be in you. He will declare the things that I've said to you and bring them to your mind. He will take what is mine and give it to you. He will declare the job of the Holy Spirit is to point to Christ, to reveal Christ, to, to allow the living Christ to live his life in and through us. So we, to be strengthened with might by the inner man is, Oh God, I want to know you. Open your word to me. Look at verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. And here's where he wants to close out these first three wonderful chapters of our absolute riches in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, that you may know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What's the width? What's the length? What's the depth? What's the height of this love? I want to know it. I want to know what God has for me. I want to know what he thinks about me. I want to know what what is my my absolute riches in him. I want to know that I'm his. I want to know that that I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. You ought to read the Song of Solomon, brethren. If you want to see the absolute love of Solomon to the Shulamite woman, picturing God's love for his people. Or if you want to take it, God, Christ's love for his church. Ah, man, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. His desire is for me and so forth. Read that wonderful Old Testament book, the Song of Solomon. 
So Paul's saying, I've written to you. I've written to you that you may know what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. You might love the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He ends by saying, To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever, brethren. It's unending. We are not on probation. We've been born again. We've been born from above. We've been tenderly bought by the blood of Christ. This love is unending. Verse 21 again, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I have that list that I compiled that we we talked about the first couple times uh, in our studies uh, in the first three books or the first three chapters of this wonderful book here. And I want to end with these. Just a little bit of, of the blessings that we've studied and that we've looked about. And again, brethren, we have the last three chapters to look at as our wonderful walk in this glorious position we have. And I want to end with these, with this list. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We are predestined as adoption as sons. We've been made accepted in the Beloved. We've been redeemed through His blood. I have an inheritance. I have been saved by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. This sealing is my guarantee of my inheritance. I have his power toward me as a believer. We've been raised with Christ in heaven. We've been saved by grace. And we have access through Christ to the Father. That is how Paul starts in the riches. I have not done it at all what it should be, but I just pray that God would would take the rough edges out of these first three expositions, these first expositions, I should say, the first three chapters, that we might know the riches of His grace and how much He loves you. And the next time we get together, we will begin our look at the last three chapters of Ephesians and that walk in this wonderful position. Brethren, I thank you for being with me. And I love you, and I can't wait to get next to you next time. God bless you.